The following podcast is from Doxa Church in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. For more information about Doxa Church, please visit us online at www.doxachurch.org. Good morning, church. Today's scripture reading comes from 1 Samuel chapter 22, verses 1 through 5. And you can follow along behind me on the screen. <clears throat> David departed there. David departed from there and escaped to the cave in Adullam. And when his brothers and his father's house heard it, they went down there to him. And everyone who was in distress, and everyone who was in debt, and everyone who was bitter in soul gathered to him and he became commander over them and there were with him about 400 men and David went from there to Mizpah of Moab and he said to the king of Moab please let my father and my mother stay with you till I know what God will do for me and he left them with the king of Moab and they stayed with him all the time that David was in the stronghold. Then the prophet Gad said to David, Do not remain in the stronghold. Depart and go into the land of Judah. So David departed and went into the forest of Hereth. And this has been the reading of God's word. You can be seated. Well, we're in our series, In Spite of Us, the story of God and his people in 1 Samuel. And this week we're in chapters 21 and 22. Uh, again, this section of, of Samuel is kind of, a, it's kind of a crazy story. Again, if you've never actually like, picked up the Bible and read it for yourself, if you picture like, kind of like fairy tales or cute little like moral stories, like it is not like that at all. The, the Bible, much of the Bible is actually gritty and very real. It is not full of perfect people. It is full of like really, really messed up people as we are seeing in this section of Samuel. It is, it is full of like crazy real life stuff. And what we saw last week is we saw this friendship, the special friendship between Jonathan and David. We saw the special role that it played in David's life and obviously in Jonathan's life as well. We saw the special role that that played in the nation of Israel uh, in bringing David to be a king. And then also how that kind of played out in all of redemptive history. Like David is the great, 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 great grandfather of, or more than that, of, of Jesus. It's in David's line that Jesus would come out of. And so it was a, this friendship was hugely important. And the last thing that we saw was Jonathan and David, who are friends who are closer than brothers, who are having to bitterly depart from each other because Jonathan's dad is trying to kill David. So kind of a messed up situation. In fact, he, he's so angry that Jonathan is still friends with David that he even tries to kill his son, Jonathan, Saul does. Like, so this is like a, a pretty messed up family. What we're seeing is Saul is kind of like circling deeper and deeper in sort of like this whole uh, loop of really insanity that's coming out now. And so now we see an incredibly difficult time that David is entering where he's actually hiding for his life from the king. David is in exile. 
He's become or is becoming an outcast in his own nation. He hasn't done anything wrong, but yet because the king says he has done something wrong, he is now an outcast and a fugitive in his own nation. He is being pursued by the very one who he faithfully served as one of his generals. He faithfully served Saul as one of his generals in his army, and now he's being pursued by him, and he is cut off. He's cut off from his wife, his family. He's cut off from his fortune. He's cut off from society society at large. And all of a sudden, things that had been going like really up, like the, the David stock was going up, all of a sudden things have taken a drastic and a very terrible and sad term. Like, so, so David kind of rose like in a meteoric rise from nothing. He was just a shepherd boy for a fairly poor family in a fairly small and poor village. And, and then Samuel shows up and he anoints him king as the next king of Israel. Like, totally unlooked for. David did not like lobby to get this to happen. He did not kind of run for this office. Like it just kind of dropped right in his lap. And then next thing he knows, like he's defeating Goliath and then he's becomes a commander in Saul's army and he becomes a celebrated commander because he's, he's winning like victory after victory. And, and David's like in this season where like everything he touched turns to gold. Ever felt like that? Like there's this some days, like most days, not for me, but there's some days where I'm just like, man, great. And everybody's smiling. It's just like everything seems to just be going well for me. Like, like David had a sustained period of time where everything he touched turned to gold. He was a success at every single thing he did. He became a celebrated general. He married the king's daughter. His best friend was the crown prince of Israel. And by the way, he had been anointed the next king of Israel. Like David, things are going good and well for him. I mean, he has hit songs written about him. Like they're, they're singing in the streets. Saul has killed his thousands and David has killed his 10,000s. And we're gonna see like, it was a pretty popular song because they heard about it over in the next country over. Like it's a pretty popular song about David. He, everything he does is turning to gold. And so even though he went from being a shepherd boy to the anointed by the prophet Samuel, all of a sudden the next, anointed the next king of Israel, now things are going terrible. Saul seeks to kill him. He has to flee in the middle of the night from his own house. He is running for his very life, and he ends up, we see in this chapter, in the middle of of these two chapters, at the beginning of chapter 22, David departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. And you have to think that he has to be asking, he's living in a cave, this guy who had been a commander, who had seen thousands fall at his right hand, who had, had married the king's daughter and was living in comfort and luxury. All of a sudden, you have to think he's asking, like, what the heck, God? Right? Like, God, what in the what in the world was all that for? I didn't ask to be anointed the next king of Israel. I didn't ask for any of this to come into my lap. All of a sudden it happens and like God's presence is with me and he's empowered me to do this stuff and I'm doing all this stuff that you tell me to do and like everything's going well and then all of a sudden it's like you just pulled the rug out from underneath me. And now I'm living in a cave being chased by the most powerful man in the country and not just the most powerful man in the country but here's Two bad combinations. Saul is now a crazy man and he has an army and those are never a good combination together. A crazy man, you don't want a crazy man against you. You don't want a man with an army against you but a crazy man with an army, it is is a very precarious situation that David is in. And you have to think he's asking like, is this some cruel trick, God? Are Are you just playing with me? Are you toying with me? 
Are you trying to prove some sort of point with me? I don't understand what all this is about. Why would you give me so much success and set me up, and then now all of a sudden everything's going dark for me? And maybe you felt like that before. Maybe you feel like that now. Like maybe you look around and you're like, my life does not look a bit like I wanted it to look or I thought it was going to look. And here's what we're going to see this morning. What if I tell you that there's a point to all of this? What if I tell you in the middle of your exile, in the middle of your darkness, in the middle of your life not looking like you thought it was going to look like, and you feel like, God, what the heck? Are you just toying with me and plaguing me? What if God is doing something that you can't see, just like we're going to see he's doing something that David can't see at this moment? We're going to observe pretty simple this morning with David, a common path that the Lord leads his people down. There's three things, exile, struggle, and refuge. Exile, struggle, and refuge. First of all, exile. So David flees at the beginning of chapter 21 from uh, Saul, and he flees with nothing. He, has, he had to flee in the middle of the night. He has nothing to his name. He had to leave everything behind him. Because as a commander of, under Saul's army, everything he owned would actually be ultimately owned by the king. The king would be in control of all that he is, in, that he is seemingly in control of. So he flees with nothing and he comes across the town of Nob, which is a town of priests. Uh, as a whole lot of pastors live here, so, you know, like Nob was a pretty happening place. And so he shows up to Nob, where the, a, a town of priests and their families, and he thinks, well, maybe they'll help me. And maybe they haven't heard that Saul is trying to seek my life. And so he runs across Ahimelech, who is the kind of the head, head priest, the head guy in the, in the village, in the town. And he says, hey, do you have any bread? I need some bread. Like, so he does nothing. He, in fact, he came to Nob looking for three things we're going to see. He came to Nob looking for, for some food. He came to Nob looking for maybe they have a weapon or two in here that I can take with me. And he also came to ask them, would you inquire of the Lord? Would you ask the Lord what I should We have this bread that we put in front of the, uh, that we use for, for God's stuff. It's holy bread. You're not really supposed to eat it. And he says, well, we're clean enough. Give me the bread. So they give him five loaves of bread. And he says, hey, do you have a weapon around? They're like, well, hey, we do have this weapon, uh, this sword, this guy named Goliath that you you killed, like we have kept it here. And he's like, hey man, there's no sword like that. I'll take that sword. And we also find out later, he asked him, would you inquire of the Lord? Am I going to, we don't know what he asked, but like, I think he was asking like, hey, should I keep on running? Am I going to make it? Like, am I going to live through this? And the priest asks the Lord from him and he gives him an answer. And so next, like he, David can't stay there. He flees, he, he flees. He knows he's got to get away from Saul. So he goes outside the country to, to Gath. And in Gath is the king Achish. And so he says, hey, would you guys hide me here from Saul? He wants to kill me. And so he's hanging out there in the city of Gath. It'd be like sort of like a, a chieftain, really, of a, a kind of a tribal city. And he's in this city. And somebody says, hey, this David guy that you have hiding here from Israel, isn't he the guy they wrote that song about? Like, remember that song? Like, Saul kills his thousands and David kills his ten thousands? Like, I'm really good at music. And so that... So, 
And they're like, yeah, that is that guy. And David becomes afraid. Like, they're, they're, like, they're going to remember, like, I've killed tens of thousands of Philistines. And so David says, how am I going to get out of this situation now? And so David has to resort to acting insane in order for them to kick them out of the city. He, he lets spittle run on his beards, and he's, like, riding on the, the walls and the gates and, like, acting all crazy. And this would have been incredibly unheard of for a sane man to do because for you to have spittle in your beard and to look like that was an actual shame upon you and your father's house. But he does that and they actually kick him out of there and David runs to this last hiding place that he has at the moment. He runs to this cave named Adullam and he stays there for a while and then finally he, his parents, his family hears that he's there. They come to him and he takes his parents to the neighboring country of Moab and he leaves them there, but the prophet says, you can't stay there. You got to go back out. And so what we see here in this whole section is David can never find a place to stay. He's always fleeing. He's always running. And he seemingly has nothing to his name. Meanwhile, and this is the crazy man that's chasing down David. Meanwhile, Saul hears, remember that city Nob with the cool name where the, all the pastors live? He hears that somebody there helped David. And he calls the priests from Nob to come to him. And he pronounces judgment upon them of death for helping David. Even though they didn't even know that they were helping him to defy Saul. And they end up, this is crazy, under Saul's orders, killing all the priests, the women, the children, and the livestock in the city of Nob. This is really the low point for Saul. They slaughter a whole town of priests and their families, including their children. Can you imagine the fear that David will be operating under at this point? Like, just for a minute, just imagine it. Just not, not like a Bible story. Just imagine the fear. You're huddled in the cave. You'd be afraid of, like, can I even light a fire? Will somebody see? You're having to hunt and forage for food. You're alone. It's dark. You're cut off. And you're remembering, man, just not long ago, I was living in a palatial mansion. Can you imagine the emotions that David would have? He's cut off from his wife. He's cut off from his close friend. He's cut off from his livelihood. He's considered a fugitive in the country that he was just fighting for. He's in exile. In David's exile, this just adds to it. Can you imagine just sitting there in the dark? Like when it gets dark and you hear noises around you? Like some of you guys like the outdoors. I'm a big fan of, of the great indoors. <laughs> Sometimes when you're sitting out in the dark, I've done it before, and, and you hear the, the noises around you, right? Like, and it's okay if you have a tent between you and the noises, but if you're just in a dark cave, like the noises are, are in there with you, right? Like if you ever lit a fire, you would see those beady, shiny eyes staring at you. And you're like, I hope you're a rat. Like, there's a few times where you say, I hope you're a rat, but that's the time you say, I hope you're a rat. Like, 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 you're scared. You're alone. No one's around you. You don't know, am I going to be able to eat tomorrow? 
And as he's sitting there in the dark, surrounded by this darkness, surrounded by this cave, living alone, he's got to be sitting there thinking, God, this is unfair. Tonight, I am sitting here in this cold, damp cave, and Saul is sitting somewhere in front of a feast. He's tried to kill me umpteen times, and I have done nothing but serve him well. He chased me away from my wife, from my home, from my friends. I am all alone, and he's telling everybody in the country that I am this terrible criminal, and yet I have done nothing wrong. This is not fair. This is uncomfortable, God. This is not what I am accustomed to. I thought I had gotten past that. I was, I was just living in a, in a palatial mansion, married to the king's daughter, and now I'm hiding in the dark in a cave. This is unfair, it is uncomfortable, and I'm surrounded by danger on every side. If it's not wild animals, if it's not wondering if I'm going to get food, I'm wondering if someone's going to see me and betray me because the reason that that town, that village of priests and their families were killed was because somebody saw David and they ratted him out. In fact, we see later on, again, a whole nother village rats David out. He's surrounded by danger of Saul pursuing him, if he's even gonna eat a meal, and if anybody sees him, are they gonna betray me? Who, do, who can I trust? In fact, he's already been betrayed several times. And he will be betrayed again. God, this is unfair. This is uncomfortable. This is dangerous. This is a result of nothing but betrayal against me. God, this is not right. What in the world are you doing? Maybe you felt like that before. Maybe you've been in your own cave. When the chips are down and things have gone south. This is uncomfortable, this is dangerous. I don't wanna be here, I can't get out, I am trapped and I don't know what to do. I'm cut off, I am in exile. Maybe you've had all those feelings at once. To be exiled is to be expelled from home. Home is this sense of where, where things are right and good, where, where things are whole. To be exiled is to be separated from what's right and good. It's to be torn away from wholeness. This picture in scripture that we see of wholeness is this uh, Jewish word shalom, which means peace or wholeness or that everything is right. And to be exiled is to be separated and torn away from what is right and to be left in your own cave, in your own darkness, in your own danger, in your own unfairness, in your own... the your betrayal of those closest to you. Exile is when life takes a hard turn that you didn't expect. When you get a phone call in the middle of the night and you know, sometimes you get a phone call and before you even answer it, you know, this is gonna change my life. Your spouse tells you, hey, we need to talk. The job that you've had and been able to count on, all of a sudden, it's gone. Your spouse tells you, I don't love you anymore. That money that you had set aside, it's 
disappeared. You walk into the doctor's office, he says, I have bad news. Your best friend turns on you. Sometimes it's when all of that seems to happen all at once. And all of a sudden I'm cut off. I'm exiled from shalom, from peace, from wholeness, from what's right, from home. And you look around and life doesn't look like what you expected anymore. It's not what you wanted. And everything before that seemed to be going right has now soured. Exile is when sad country music starts to make sense. Here's the deal. Exile has been the unnaturally natural state of every human since Adam and Eve took the fruit. Exile has been the unnaturally, so it's not the way things were meant to be, yet natural because it's the way all things are now, state that things have been in for every human being since Adam and Eve took that fruit. Everything was good and perfect. It was shalom. It was whole. God made man and they dwelt together in peace. God made man and woman and they dwelt together in peace. It was the way things were meant to be. Yet when they took that fruit, that shalom was shattered between God and man and between man and each other. And humanity has been exiled ever since that state. In fact, they were literally exiled out of the garden by God himself from shalom. And since then, we've longed to get back. Don't sometimes, whether you're a believer or not in here, if you're a skeptic, don't, don't you, don't we all at some point deep in our souls have this sense like things are not what they could be or should be and I long for it to be better and, and I, I just can't ever get there. It's like we have a, this one author I, I read said, we have a sense of a memory of an echo of Eden. Just somewhere in there, we have a sense of a memory of an echo, like a dream that you woke up from that you can't quite remember, that you know that's the way things should be, but we can never quite get there. We're exiled. We haven't always agreed what there was, but we all know in our souls we need to get there. But here's also the deal. Even though exile has always been the state of humanity since that fruit, God has always used his people's exile for their benefit and for his glory. There's no exile that's been wasted on God's people. It's not purposeless. Maybe you're here this morning and you are in the middle of this, or you out of it or you remember what it was like and it still brings tears to your eyes. Here's the truth. It's not purposeless. God had a purpose when Joseph was sold into slavery and whenever he was in prison. 
God had a purpose when the Israelites were led out of Egypt into the desert. God had a purpose when Jesus was led into the wilderness himself. And he will lead you and he has a purpose for you right there. God uses your exile. And here's my encouragement to you. Don't waste it. Don't waste your exile. Don't waste when things don't seem to be right or the way that you want it to be. Don't live in a state of limbo. He's doing something. And here's the truth. We all have to struggle through it. God has always led his people into exile or used exile, but secondly is there's always and is always individually a struggle for us. So picture David hiding in that cave. Again, li- living in a cave is not the easiest nor the most pleasant environment to live in. Hiding in a cave makes it doubly worse. Because not only am I having to live there, and like I, you know, if I'm living there, maybe I can get some nice lamps and you know, try to a rug and try to fix it up. But if I'm hiding there, I'm trying to make sure that nobody can tell I'm here. He's having to hunt and forage for food. He's having to keep a low profile in order to stay hidden. The, living in the cave itself would be a struggle, and so. Most of us here have known at some point where life is actually a struggle. Like sometimes it's easier and sometimes life is just a struggle, right? Like work is a struggle. Our marriages are a struggle. Our relationships are a struggle. Our finances are a struggle. Like sometimes we've all been in that season and maybe it's like your whole life you feel, but we all, there's like sometimes life is a big struggle. But here's the greater struggle that I think David would have had and that we have as well is that the inner struggle, the inner struggle as David's sitting there in that, in that cave saying, God, what the heck? This is not fair. This is wrong. It's uncomfortable. I've been betrayed. Are you toying with me? Or have you betrayed me, God? Not just have they betrayed me, but have you betrayed me? I put my trust in you. Have you betrayed me? Have you sold me up the river? The, the cool and interesting thing is we get a little x-ray into David's heart as he's in this cave in Adullam. He wrote at least three psalms that, we, that are attributed to him in this period of time. Two of them that are directly attributed to being in the cave. One is Psalm 142. We actually looked at that back in the spring, but we'll look at it again this morning. If you have your Bible, you can turn there. Psalm 142. How do we respond when we're in exile? How do we struggle this, with this inner struggle when I'm in exile, when I'm feeling I'm wronged and I'm despairing and has God sold me a bill of goods? Listen to this song, this psalm that David penned in the cave. With my voice, I cry out to the Lord. With my voice, I plead for mercy to the Lord. I pour out my complaints before him, I tell my trouble before him. When my spirit faints within me, you know my way. In the path where I walk, they have, they have hidden a trap for me. Look to the right and see there is none who takes notice of me. No refuge remains to me and no one cares 
from my soul. I cry to you, O Lord. I say, you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. Attend to my cry, for I am brought very low. Deliver me from my persecutors, for they are too strong for me. Bring me out of prison that I may give thanks to your name. The righteous will surround me, for you will deal bountifully with me. How do we respond when we are in these states of exile? I think we respond a lot like David did. Look how he starts off. With my voice, I cry out to the Lord. With my voice, I plead for mercy to the Lord. I pour out my complaint before him. Now, just leave it there like we are tempted. At that point, we want to blame God. God, it's you. I know I made this decision, or they did this, or they did this, but God, it's you. You put me here. We're, we're get angry with the people around us. We might get angry with ourselves, but really, the bottom line person that we're angry with is we're angry with God for allowing this to happen, or directing this to happen, or what in the heck you're doing up there, God, in my life, toying me with me like some puppet, like some toy, like you're like I'm just part of your playset. We want to, we're tempted, we want to blame God. I pour out, I cry and plead to him. I pour out my complaint to him. We want to blame him and we feel spiritually deadened. Look at verse three, my spirit, man, I just can't, all of a sudden, like you're just like, man, I don't even want to crack my Bible open. I don't want to go to church. I don't want to hear one person say anything about how good God is. I don't want to hear that song. I don't want to hear that preacher. It all, I feel spiritually deadened inside. And I'm wondering, is all this just make-believe? Was I like carried away with some emotion and God's not real? I feel spiritually deadened in my soul. And then we feel abandoned. Look at verse 4. Look to the right and see there is none who takes notice of me. Nobody even sees me or cares for me. No refuge remains to me. No one cares for my soul. And haven't you felt like that at some point? Where like you're in a room and people are smiling at you, but you just feel like nobody cares. My life is falling apart and you guys don't, nobody cares. Nobody can know. Even if you say you care, like you just don't know. Talk to people who lost a child or a spouse or a f- friend and, you know, somebody means well and they say something nice to you. You know, like the cl- every cloud is a silver lining and you just want to punch them in the face because you're like, I know you're trying to, to do good, but it, you don't understand what I'm feeling. I feel abandoned. And then lastly, we feel exposed. I cry to you, O Lord, verse four, I say to you, you are my refuge, I'm sorry, verse four, look to the right and see there's none who takes notice of me. No refuge remains to me. No refuge remains to me. I feel there's no safe place. I feel exposed. Like, God, you just left me out here and I'm all by myself and I wanna blame you and I feel spiritually dead inside and I feel abandoned and I feel exposed in that that moment, that's where our loving Father is leading us. To the point where we can say, no other refuge remains to me. Because the truth is, because we exile is the natural state of humanity, we are always looking for refuge somewhere. 
And he's leading us to the place where we say, no other refuge remains to me but you. Because see, here's the thing. When we're in this exile place, this exile state, the biggest thing that's on our mind is we just want to be relieved of the pain and just, just like, God, repair my, like, we, we just want the, we want the, we want to cross the finish line and get past the pain and discomfort. We think that's the goal, but God has a different goal in mind for us. God has a different plan in mind with us. He wants us to struggle and he is there. And here's the thing that we don't see. He is struggling with us so that he will teach us to say, isn't God really good? Didn't he say he would never leave or forsake his own? Didn't he say his grace would be sufficient for me? Am I gonna believe this true? Is, is true? I may not feel like it's true, but I know this is true. And I don't have anywhere else to look. And so I'm just stuck looking with, without of emotions, without, feeling like I'm abandoned, feeling like he's far away, and yet just saying God, which is what David's saying in this psalm, in this song that he's singing to the Lord in the cave, God, I know you are good. I know you said you would never forsake your own. I know you said your grace would be sufficient to me. And I'm going to believe that this is true no matter what it feels like. Where God is taking us in the struggles where like David, we struggle with the Lord in our darkness, in our exile. Because notice that's a key part of this psalm. David's not just complaining, he's complaining to the Lord. Somewhere deep below the darkness and the sadness is this trust that God, you may feel like a million miles away, but I'm gonna struggle through this with you. I'm gonna trust you. And the truth is, we don't get there until God leads us to a place where we say, there's no other refuge but you. David fled to the safest place that he could find, the cave of Adullam or Adullam. Adullam means, in the original language, it means refuge, or it means the the literal meaning of it is a a closed-in or a locked-in place. David said, I know where I'll go. I'll go to Adullam the refuge, the closed-in or locked-in place. When things get tough, that's where we want to go. Some place of refuge. Where do you flee for refuge? Uh, Beer or wine is a great drink. It's a poor refuge. Sex is something that God gave us. It's a poor refuge. Relationships are a God-given thing. They're poor refuge. Your looks, God may have made you beautiful or good-looking or athletic. Those are good things, but they are poor refuges. The ability to make money or your intelligence, your academic ability, those are all good God-given things, but they make for poor refuges. Netflix, it may be good or bad, I don't know, but it's a poor refuge. 
We run, we seek a locked in, a closed in place that can keep the trouble outside. We all instinctively seek refuge because we all feel exiled. We all feel like we need to find our true home. We long to find a place, some place uh, with people or a place or this concept where we feel safe, accepted, where we feel cared for. We want to enjoy and be enjoyed. We want to feel like we belong, like we have a true place where we fit. We, and we want to feel at peace. We want to feel shalom. We were made to be in peace with God and with each other. And when all that was lost, that shalom was shattered, and we've been attempting to hide ourselves. What did Adam and Eve do right after? They covered themselves. We've been trying to close in, lock in, refuge ourselves ever since then. The Lord, your Lord, is faithful and loving to lead each of his children through a process of removing those weak and false refuges in which we hide. Adalim wasn't the answer for David. It served a purpose for a while, which we're gonna see. That wasn't his refuge. David had to move from saying, hey, this cave is my refuge, to saying, Lord, you are my refuge. God would alone be our refuge because he alone can be our refuge. Every other refuge shall be his true safe place, closed in place, refuge in the cave that was named closed in place, safe place, refuge. Then look what happens to David as he's there. Beginning of chapter 22, David departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. And when his, Adullam and when his brothers and all his father's house heard it, they went down there to him. And listen to this. And everyone who was in distress and everyone who was in debt and everyone who was bitter in soul gathered to him. And he became commander over them. And there were with him about 400 men. These men the distressed, the indebted, the embittered would not be who would think, hey, I'm going to, I want these people to be my people. But when you are indebted and distressed and embittered and you find a place of refuge, you are incredibly devoted. And God used this 400 indebted, distressed, like <laughs> the opposite of the cream of the prop, the bottom of the barrel, guys, to be the people that David would, would be David's mighty men who would be the core of his empire whenever he actually sits on the throne. The men of renown for David. David finds everyone who's distressed, everyone who's indebted, and everyone who's bitter of soul. And that's who finds Jesus. What did Jesus say? Did he say, come to me, all you are strong in the cream of the crop? 
Come to me, all you who are successful and have it together. Come to me, you talented, and we'll make something awesome. He says, come to me, all you who are weak and heavy laden. He said, blessed are the mournful. Blessed are the broken. That's who he called. And that's who finds Jesus. That's who finds Jesus to be their refuge. Because that's what Jesus is. That's who he is. He is the only lasting refuge. Hear this this morning. He is the only lasting refuge for your embittered, distressed, indebted soul. He was rejected so you could be accepted. Jesus was ostracized. They took him out of the city, called him guilty when he was not, put him on the cross and put on the hill as a common criminal, the Lord of creation. They put on the hill as a common criminal. He was ostracized so you could be brought in. He was hunted so that you could be protected. He was the greater David. He was strong so you could feel safe. He was solid so you could feel sure. He is a hiding place so you don't have to fear the hunter. He's the greater Adalim. He is the closed in place for you. He is your refuge. He is your Shield. He bore the wrath that was due to you. He bore the penalty that you and I deserved. He absorbed the due payment for the sinful decisions that you made. He bore that. He was the refuge from you from your own bad decisions. Isn't that incredible? Because you and I weren't unfairly marked like David was. We are guilty And he became the shield to shield you from your own self. He absorbed your payment for your sinful decisions. This morning, are you hid in him? Are you hid in him? That's what it means to find him as your refuge, to be hidden in him. That he is your Adalim. He is your David. And if you're there, nothing can take you down. Is he your refuge? This morning, I'm gonna pray. The band's gonna come up and we're gonna partake of communion together. And as we do, Here's what we're going to be celebrating and remembering. When you physically take that piece of bread in your hand, I want you to think this. His physical body was broken so that he could absorb what was coming to you. He is your shield. When you dip that into the cup and take the juice in that bread, I want you to remember his physical blood was shed for you so that you could find your refuge in him.
There is no other refuge. There is no safer place. And that's what we're going to celebrate as a body this morning. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Doxa Church. We are so glad that you took the time to join us today. At Doxa, we exist to make disciples who joyfully worship Jesus with their whole lives. We invite you to join us. Doxa Church meets at 10 a.m. every Sunday at River Oaks Elementary School. For more information about Doxa Church, please visit us online at www.doxachurch.org.